Overdrive. Hello and welcome to Overdrive, a program that looks at the latest trends in motoring and transport from a serious and a not-so-serious point of view. I'm David Brown and in this program we have news stories including With lockdowns, should we let children play more on appropriate local streets? We hear from an artist who does very detailed pictures of cars who is a quadriplegic and holds the brush in his mouth. Rob Fraser and I discuss Toyota's anachronistic hero car and Brian Smith is back with a quirky story about fast food used as a weapon against bus drivers. You can find more information at drivenmedia.com.au or previous programs are available as podcasts on iTunes or Spotify. Or you can go to our Facebook page, Overdrive City. So let's get the program going. First, the news. Mandatory lockdowns can help avoid a potentially fatal disease, but we must look at ways to keep active, especially for children. The UN Committee on the Rights of the Child is concerned about the effects of the COVID-19 pandemic on the physical, emotional and psychological well-being of children, especially with lockdowns. They've called for creative solutions to give children a chance to be able to play and to be involved in lively activities. One suggestion from an outside group is to let children play on local streets where possible and in a managed way. It is certainly not all streets and it's not an all-or-nothing approach. For some time now, one street in inner Sydney closes the road for a cricket game every Sunday for just a few hours. A more expansive use of the street space could be a desirable outcome. Sometimes insurance companies do what people expect of them. With COVID-19, is this good business and or good corporate citizenship? In a clever move, the UK general insurance company, Admiral, is refunding all current vehicle policyholders the equivalent of nearly $50 Australian because the coronavirus lockdown has reduced trips and crashes. The company insures about 4.4 million cars and vans and the total amount given back will be $216 million Australian dollars. The refund is the same for every policy holder, even if you've had a crash in that year. Such a move seems obvious, but insurance companies know that no one can be made to pay more, retrospectively, if there is a sudden increase in crashes. One hopes that those who get a refund will hesitate to complain if their travel insurance goes up. COVID-19 is creating different business environments. So will electric vehicle sales prosper or struggle? The current reduction of vehicles on the road has produced some incredibly good local environmental conditions. This may enhance the push for electric cars when we get back to normal. But it may not help the sales of EVs in the short term, especially with the price of petrol going down. Automotive market analyst group Matthias Schmidt revised its forecast for EVs in Western Europe for 2020 from 650,000 to 625,000 vehicles, which would still be a significant increase over 2019. 
the situation is made harder for manufacturers because the EVU has targets for the percentage of cars sold that produce zero local pollution and the EU can fine companies that don't reach their own targets. If we suppress the education of young girls, we lose the skills that could make for a better world. Despite police checkpoints to enforce a lockdown, Samaya Faruqi and four other teenage girls regularly drive through the back streets of Herat, one of Afghan's hotspots for the coronavirus pandemic. They are going to a workshop to try and build a ventilator from used car parts. The girls are aged between 14 and 17 and Afghanistan has an inherent aversion to female education. Yet Samaya persevered and participated in the first World Robotic Olympiad held in the United States in 2017. The parts being used include the motor of a Toyota windscreen wiper, some batteries and a set of manual oxygen pumps. Fortunately, the parts are not from an early model British car with Lucas Electronics. With motor racing events being postponed or cancelled, the V8 Supercar Organisation is running an E-Series, where drivers use simulators in their homes to compete in races through the iRacing computer simulation platform. They are holding a series of approximately 10 rounds, which started on the 8th of April. Formula One driver Max Verstappen even participated in one event. One excellent suggestion is that modern drivers compete in computer versions of old racing cars. In the early days, the cars had a lot of power but not much grip, and so the racing was spectacular. Nowadays, racing can become boring as aerodynamics mean the cars don't slide about and they make it difficult to overtake. And that has been the news. As a young lad, Grant Sharman wanted to be a pilot, but through one of life's changing events, he ended up becoming an artist. He dabbled with pictures from the farm, but his true love is cars. So his canvas subjects are now automobiles. Grant is from Auckland in New Zealand, and he's on the line now. G'day, Grant. G'day, David. What happened in 1977 when you were 15 years old? Well, it was one of those uh, classic moments where I did something that I never, I dived into a ruck thinking I was bulletproof at uh, a game of rugby and uh, boom, in less than a second I got my head in the wrong place and I broke my neck and really that was the end of uh, flying for the Air Force and all those things. It was ground zero. It was uh, a reset on my life clock. You are a tetraplegic. What does that mean? So tetraplegic, quadriplegic, it basically means four. So four limbs are affected. How do you paint? Well, it's a great question. I can move my arms around and, and that sort of thing, but I can't have a brush in my hand. And so one day in 1980, uh, I was at the uh, Spiral, where I stayed for 11 years, and there was an artist there, an amazing man, called Bruce Hopkins. He spoke to my dad, my dad spoke to me. I went and spoke to Bruce, and Bruce said, do you want to have a go at painting? And I said, mate, I can't hold the brush. Uh, bearing in mind, Bruce couldn't move anything. He couldn't move his arms, nothing. So he said, that's right, you're going to stick it in your mouth. And I just thought... I thought it was crazy. I thought, who the heck does that? So I went up to the OT department. I gave it a go. It was terrible. I had my first painting. It's in my art room. I told him he could basically stick his paintbrush up his ass. Uh, he said, no, you can have another go. And, uh, you know, I was a sort of 17, 18-year-old kid. 
So I went up and I, I did my second one, which was, you know, just as bad, and that's in my um, album as well. And uh, the notes kept going. And one day I had a guy painting a car. And, well, looking back now, it was pretty awful. But I really enjoyed it because for me, being able to recreate something that looks like what it's supposed to be, i.e. in kind of a realist style, that was art for me. Now, a lot of people will say, well, just buy a camera and take a photograph. But for me, it was that ability to take an image and convert it into a canvas using watercolors. I use acrylics at the moment. To me, that was a real skill. And it was okay, but I kept doing it and I kept doing it. And the breakthrough was a 1956 Chev, which was uh, owned by a friend of mine who was working on my own classic car. And it was pretty good. And he liked it. And it was exhibited in Vienna with a big conference up there. And, uh, you know, people liked it. And I did a couple more. And then the people who had an office said, well, would you have a guard for Formula One cars? In Europe, they're very, very popular. Not the, not, not the modern ones, sort of the, the, the slightly earlier ones. And I did. And if I say so myself, David, I thought it looked pretty damn good. Has it changed your perception of the detail of the design of cars, having to paint them and make it realistic? Well, absolutely. It's, I think I like the classic cars because often there's a lot of chrome involved. And they just look, look magnificent. They've got lovely lines. You know, I think if you talk to a lot of people who love cars, if you look at the, the modern cars, it's similar. You know, you look at those, the 50s and the 60s, the cars had real character and just their shape, etc. But I've got to say, I'm currently working on Shane Van Gisbergen's V8 supercar. Mm. And you know what? I posted a comment. Why do race car drivers and teams need so many damn sponsors and they have to put them all over the car. One of the great designs you had was the Salter's truck. Salter, I think, was a carrier. Yes. But uh, now, if, I, if I'm right, I think that's a 42 Chevy. You are, you know, you get 10 out of 10. You're absolutely right. So there's a wonderful story with that. So over in, in, in New Zealand, uh, we have this thing called Big Boys Toys, where there's all sorts of stuff out there. And I went along and watched and had a look around. And, and a sort of a car park to one side, there's some big trucks. And here was this really cool, classic pickup truck. So I took a photo and I painted it, showed it to my friend Tony. He said, oh, that's, that's Ron Salter's truck. Well, Ron Salter owns a company called Salter Transport, and they mainly deal in waste oil. So I got in touch with Ron and showed him, and, um, and he loved it. And he, he bought the painting off me. But in the meantime, it was used in a mini card. And it's, it's just a great story. And the backstory to that was, I think it was his father actually imported the truck and it stayed in the family and it's, it's at his place. And we, we were going to have an exhibition recently before the, um, you know, the, the lockdown over here and he was going to bring it to the exhibition. So the real truck would be there as would the painting. But you're right on the money, David. You know your vehicles. Well, it's a lovely era, wasn't it, if you look through the 30s and 40s. I was talking to my mate Dean Oliver, who is the resident artist of our motoring program. Every motoring program should have one. And he was saying, you know, that 30s and 40s, the streamlined look, because the thing that really makes it obvious for the truck 
is the lights, the headlights, they aren't buried in the bumper bar. They aren't sitting on top of it. They have their own sort of moulded approach to it with the lights at the front of that mould, almost a bit like a bug-eyed sprite. So it's, it's a wonderful capturing of the character of the time. As an artist, you must perceive that now in much more detail than you might have in the past. Well, you absolutely do, and you get really quite carried away with the vehicle. I paint. I have my my studio at home, uh, and because I I have the brush in my mouth, I'm quite close, so I need to keep going back and looking at it and not getting caught up in one area. But you find yourself almost driving the car, and I know that sounds really, really crazy, but you know every line, every detail. You get a real feel for it, and you get a, a love and appreciation, particularly when you're working on cars that are classics where people have put a lot of elbow grease and love and money mm. into restoring these vehicles, you, you just get that sense that you're dealing with a really special vehicle. And I could do a painting of a, oh, you know, the, the, the Chev or one of these cars and then a painting of a, you know, a brand new Tesla. And you know what? It just, it just wouldn't compare. It doesn't do it for you as much? Well, I, I think it lacks the history. I think everything needs a backstory. I uh, note that you've owned a couple of cars there. Uh, can you can't control them? Do you do you just own them for the sake of that? I can. I'm very fortunate. My level of uh, paralysis is such that I can move my arms. So I can have hand controls. So I've got no. So try and imagine an open hand. I, I can't close the fingers. I can't grip anything. But I can use you know use my arms. So I can pull down on a control and push forward and I can put my hands on the steering wheel. So I, so I can drive. I currently have a van. I can wheel in my wheelchair and, and drive from my wheelchair. So I'm very fortunate. You are a determined lad, if I might say that. Uh, you've also been a, para, a para-Olympian. Well, I've got to say, I like the word lad. You can do that all day long, David. I've had that, that's for sure. Um, yes, look, I've been extraordinarily uh, fortunate and my my fortuitous art career has allowed me to do that. You know, as an artist, I don't paint my father. I probably should, but I don't. And so my ability to earn, you know, a living doing that, but also the time to look into other things. You can't grab the wheel of your wheelchair, though. How do you power it? Is it motorised? I just wondered then if you would have hotted it up. No, no, no. Well, they were hotted up, so... If you look at a, a, a wheelchair rugby chair and then compare it to what we call a day chair, your everyday chair, it's like chalk, chalk and cheese. I mean, wheelchair rugby is a full contact sport. It's pretty it's pretty damn brutal. One of the funniest things you ever saw, I remember the team assembling to go off to play in some tournament, and here's all these wheelchair rugby chairs that are used for basically dodgems, really, full-impact dodgems. And the, the airline uh, person going along and putting a fragile sticker on it. So you do do commission work. If I have a car I love, I can commission you to paint it? Yes, absolutely. So uh, I, I am an artist with the mouth and foot. My job is to, is to paint images. So I paint them, but then I, I submit them and hopefully they kind of separate them and then they'll, they might use them on cards, calendars, other products. We're looking to create online business here in New Zealand. 
Grant Sharman, S-H-A-R-M-A-N. If you type that into a search engine and put the word artist after it, you should have no problem at all. Grant, lovely to talk to you. Thank you very much for your time. David, thank you for your time. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you very much. And that is Grant Sharman, who is an artist who paints cars as input on canvas. And he does so by his mouth because of a sad accident. But boy, what a guy with a great attitude and a zest for life. You're listening to Overdrive. Now that utilities are really starting to take on the great image of adventure and the great outdoors, you can get a dual cab ute so you can put all the family in it. You're not compromised like the old Holdens or Falcons that were really only two-seaters and became almost sports cars in a way. A lot were V8s and they zoomed around, but they weren't practical with only having two-wheel drive and, of course, only two seats. Yet there might be the opportunity to have hero cars like the Nissan N Trek Warrior. But what about a hero car which really is an anachronism? Rob Fraser, you're one to talk about this, I think, not because you're an anachronism, but thank you for your time. <laughs> thank you, David. Now, you were driving the Troop Carrier. What's that? The Troop Carrier is the large well, version of the Land Cruiser Ute has five or nine seat type versions and yeah you really very much it's the anti-hero car it, it harks back to an era of years gone past we had an hj60 land cruiser sahara back in the mid 80s and i tell you some of the switches from this latest model would have come straight out of the parts bin from the mid 80s it had a heater switch well it wasn't a switch it was a slide those old wonderful slides that went from the blue to the red and people like four-channel, you know, or four-zone climate-controlled air conditioning, which always amazes me a little bit because it's like, you know, the old no smoking and smoking seats in aeroplanes. You know, where does the air stop? You know? <laughs> if I wanted a 20 and someone wants it at 25, how does that work? But, you know, you drive this old – well, it's not old, it's brand new, but you drive this, this big beast and it's missing an awful lot of features that you take for granted these days and yet – I loved it. I loved driving. And, you know, you still got to where you wanted to be and everything was fine. It's a manual. In fact, it's only a five-speed manual gearbox. Does it go all right? Look, look, it does. It's the same engine, the 4.5-litre V8 diesel that's in the Land Cruiser, just detuned to touch. Fifth gear will go anywhere between 55 to 60 k's an hour to 120 plus. So unless you're in town, there's not a lot of need to change gears. When we were out on the farm, dear Harold said to us they had an old tractor and he said, I suppose these diesel cars rev out, what, at least 4,000 revs because the tractor peaked out at 1,800 revs. Mind you, it had gone forever, but it, it did that. The thing about the Toyota troop carrier was that it was very low revs even though you could go down to slow speeds in top gear, you still weren't revving it at all hard if you're out on the highway. And that's one of the things of late they've changed. They've changed the relationship between the gearbox and the engine. In the past, doing 110, you were sitting at about 3,500 revs. Well, now in fifth gear, you're sitting at just on 2,000, just over 2,000 revs, and it makes it a lot more comfortable to drive. Is it noisy? It is. <laughs> I like your honesty. Yes. <laughs> Look, it's 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 noisy, it's boxy, the, the Bluetooth is terrible because not only is the connection bad, but you can't hear people because of the rattle and the wind. 
the external mirrors are not electrically adjusted. So if someone bumps them in a car park, you've got to get out and run around and fix it three times before you can move off. There's all sorts of things you sit there that are frustrating, but again, I, I love the big beast. It is a four-door, but not in the good sense. <laughs> no. No, I wouldn't want to be climbing into the, the rear seats, but having those two barn doors at the back and that cavernous boot area is just amazing. You can stack so much stuff in there. I had a friend who went around Australia a few years ago in one of them. He put two Recaro seats in the front, two Recaro seats in the back for his boys, a big table in between for them, and packed everything in the boot. They had an awesome time. I have said in the past when testing the ute version of it that it is very old style, and to put any modern features, even modern design, in the exterior would be a bit like putting solar panels on a cathedral. It's that old style and something new would look out of place. Its exterior of the troop carrier isn't what you would call modern. Uh, no, it's not, but it's amazing how many people love it, how many people look at it and they go, oh, I really like that. You know, so it's it's as felt as you can be. It's like a, a sumo wrestler that's gone on a bit of a diet, <laughs> but it's actually in its in its ugliness, it's quite beautiful. I will add, though, there is one feature, that, or actually two features, that I would really love to see on it. One is electric adjustment for the external mirrors, and two is a reversing camera because I don't know how many times I parked two foot off whatever it was simply because I couldn't see where the back was. Yeah, it's a, it's a great eternity sticking out the back there. You've got very little idea. Yeah, but, I mean, they're all things if you drove it for a long time as, as normal, you'd get used to it. Certainly not things that, I would, that would stop me from buying one or using one, just a couple of little things that you might say, this is a concession to modern technology that would be appreciated. The Toyota Troop Carrier, it's based on the 70 series, isn't it? Yes. Rob, lovely to talk to you and uh, a reflection of times past in terms of motoring, but ones with a warm feeling. Thanks very much for your time. Thank you, David. And that was Rob Fraser. And we were talking about getting out and about in this great country of ours, on motoring adventures. You're listening to Overdrive. And we're back with Brian Smith, where we're going to talk this time a little more light-hearted stuff. Brian, you have a story about a bus driver that was attacked. Indeed, David. This is a Detroit bus driver who was assaulted with fast food by uh, apparently a well-known miscreant, called Dee Dee, a lady who's uh, about five foot four inches and 165 pounds, who, for some reason, it's not entirely clear, assaulted the bus driver with nachos. Now that you could get a nasty burn, of course, David, from the from the cheese, um, the corn chips could could have an eye out, and uh, and I think even um, the guacamole could uh, you know be cause cause problems by making the steering wheel slippery. Uh, it was uh, the, the attack was caught on camera. It happened around uh, 4.15, interestingly, not sort of late at night. But, uh, um, yes, the poor old bus driver, not terribly wounded, but uh, uh, got assaulted and almost pulled out of the, the driver's seat, and uh, the bus uh, ended up colliding with an electrical box and a street sign. Pretty exciting stuff. Uh, the fast food weapon of choice is not the usual one. Is that why you're not allowed to take it onto an aeroplane? Uh, possibly. Guatemala could confuse the paramedics that came too, couldn't it? <laughs> Whether there's an alien factor in there or something. 
versus covered in green slime. Well, what would be the worst and most dangerous? I, you know, talking about hot, I would think the McDonald's apple pie. Oh, the inside, yes. I understand has at times not always been a hundred percent apple, but may some choco may have been involved in that. In some time, it is alleged uh, that that would be dangerous. The quarter pounder, of course, has weight. Oh yes, yes, a lot of force and mass involved. Given that if you take a certain hamburger fast food and put it on a shelf, it doesn't appear to deteriorate. It doesn't appear to that. It, could this be considered tacking with fast food chemical warfare? Look, David, I think if it's taken internally, it's probably more dangerous than <laughs> being struck with it, sort of um, blunt force trauma style. But uh, other other dangerous things, I think, David, chicken skewers. Oh. Um, you know those yeah kebabs maybe those uh, those wooden skewers could be very dangerous. Fish and chips if you got a wound you know you a bit of salt on there or lemon. Oh that'd hurt. Could hurt yes. Or you could get a bone stuck in if it's forced down your throat or something. Struck with a roast chicken, a very dangerous for a dog of course because uh, you know you're not supposed to feed them chicken <laughs> bones. So oh well hang on could a bad guy then use this sort of principle that you've raised uh, the dogs of course can't have chocolate so if he's being chased by a, a, a bloodhound that's doing that could he feed him chocolate this would shift things from an assault to attempted murder then wouldn't it david we're back to the fast food aren't we <laughs> <laughs> soups probably david soups would i think they're quite uh, they could be quite savage a hot soup You've mentioned chickens and that. Does that put vegans at a disadvantage? Indeed. Like if you're a, a vegetarian driver and assaulted with meat, it could be incredibly traumatic in addition to, to violent, like the psychological impacts. You attacked the bus driver with a meat bone. No, I'm a vegetarian. Could be a defence. That's right. And then you get a good enough lawyer, David, and they would say, you know, I, I could prove it was soy meat. <laughs> exactly. Be one of those sort of dramatic moments where, you know, you're actually eating soy. <laughs> That'd be equivalent of the uh, the blind person suddenly seeing or the, uh, the person with the neck brace suddenly turning their head. Very dramatic. Quite unusual. <laughs> Brian, thank you very much for your time. You're welcome. And that was Brian Smith, engineer and transport technical expert talking some quirky news. In this program, we heard from Grant Sharman, the paraplegic artist whose subjects are classic cars and trucks, or your vehicle if you would like to commission a project that he will do. You can hear the full interview on our website, drivenmedia.com.au. Look for the title, Cars as Art. Also, there's the full interview about Sterling Moss from his good friend John Crawford, and the interview from several weeks ago with Trevor Bailey from Green Distillation Technologies, who have a new system up and running for recycling vehicle tyres that is gaining worldwide interest. Those and longer interviews and all past programs are on our website at drivenmedia.com.au. This has been Overdrive. My thanks to Grant Sharman, Rob Fraser, Brian Smith, Jordan Trembath and Paul Just 
for their great help with this program. Overdrive is syndicated across Australia on the Community Radio Network. For more information, you can go to drivenmedia.com.au or previous programs are available as podcasts from iTunes or Spotify. And of course, you can go to our Facebook page, Overdrive City. I'm David Brown. Thanks for listening.